Well, let's go ahead and get into the Word. We're in Matthew 5. Um, I, I'm not going to read through the whole text <clears throat> right now today. We're going to break it apart as we go. Uh, but we are in the middle of a series right now that we started, we started last week called You'll, You Will Be My Witnesses. And it comes from Acts 1.8. <clears throat> and it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, last week as we started this, this evangelism series, we started with talking about the heart of a witness and what, what our heart had to embrace and what we had to know deeply was the gospel, that, that Jesus has rescued us from sin and darkness, that he's brought us into his amazing, marvelous light, that he's forgiven us as we have expressed faith in him. And, and that, that's something that's an amazing miracle for every single person. That's the, the biggest miracle that would ever happen anywhere. And, and that should motivate us then to share that and be ready to share that. One of the teaser questions I gave you last week, like if you're thinking about how do I share my faith with my friends, I gave you a sentence, right, a question to ask somebody. And I said, this, here's, here's what it was. <clears throat> hey, do you mind if I share something that was that amazing that happened to me this week? Do you mind if I share something amazing that happened to me this week? Right now, we all use that same phrase in every other area of our life to talk to our friends. Hey, my kid did this, or at my job this happened, or at my home, or I saw this on this episode of whatever. And those little things like that, right? The trivial things like, I can't believe I burned the brownies or whatever. I mean, we share it like that, right? Same thing. Hey, do you mind if I tell you something amazing that happened this week? I was at church and I heard a report about some missionaries we support. She had to have eye surgery and it was not looking good. She was blind and, and we've been praying for her and God has done something amazing in her. Share the story, right? We think that we're, we're afraid. We think that they don't want to hear it. Sure, maybe they don't want to hear the Jesus stuff. But you're in their life. There's a relationship. And, and, and when we usually share back and forth, we tend to reciprocate that. If I can share with you, you can share with me. And, and, and although it may not be important to me, I'll listen. Because when I shared what was important to me, you listened. And you valued that. And if you and I really value the gospel, the heart of the gospel, the message of Christ in us now through faith in him, we ought to share that. And, and people ought to know that that's valuable to us. I was reading a commentary, reading a book actually about evangelism this week, and uh, the, the gentleman was writing, and he, and he shared just his kind of fear about talking. He had a, had a Muslim friend, and he, and he, he was a, a person who did ministry, and he's like, I don't know if I want to, I need to share with this person or not, or how to share. I just don't know how to bring it up. And so he, just, he was in a conversation. He's at coffee with this guy one day, and he's in a conversation, and then that conversation kind of dried up, right? And he's been praying for open opportunities and praying for open doors to share his faith. And, and it, it, the, the, the conversation dried up and what happened? It kind of got silent and it became, what, awkward? The awkward silence you have, right? Like, awkward. It's like when I'm silent and you have to ask, yeah. It, and, he, and he just knew. He's like, okay. And, and he's like, hey, can, I, can I talk to you about something? Can I share something with you? And he just started sharing his faith. Because he knew it was an open door and he, he should do that. And this guy valued him as a friend and, and, and he, he asked Here's the question he asked him. Do you, do you have any idea what I believe? Do you know what I believe or what I hold dear about my faith? That's the question he asked. And, and the guy's, well, I, I, I don't know. I'm Muslim. You're Christian. And they kind of exchanged some, like, you know, defensive, well, here's what we believe and here's what I know you believe. And they kind of got out of that. And he was able to really share just from his heart about who Christ was. And it, it really was a tender time, a great time of conversation. Just, just asking that question, hey, do you even know, do you know what I believe? And it led into that. And at the end of the conversation, this Muslim, he's like, you know, I, I, thanks for sharing this stuff. I, re I really appreciate it, but I have a question for you. 
why did it take you so long to tell me this? Why? Why does it take us so long to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is he not important enough? Is he not good enough? Has he not done enough for us that we can share and we value him in that way? So I, I want to encourage you, I want to be encouraged myself to take Jesus seriously enough that it, he's, he's mattered enough and deeply enough to me that I can actually share what I value with somebody else. And, and that person actually will likely value what I value. They may not value Jesus the same way, but they'll at least give me the time of day. So my encouragement to you is to, to look for those opportunities. And today, uh, here's what we're doing. We're, we're going to that passage of Scripture from Acts 1-8, and we're looking at, you'll be my witnesses. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? This is not on us to accomplish. It's on the Holy Spirit and what He's doing in us. And, and we'll be His witnesses. And then we're looking today, starting to see where do we focus? Where do, where do we start? Where does the passage say? You'll be my witnesses Where? In Jerusalem, and then all Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, or the ends of the earth. So today, I really want to focus on a witness in Jerusalem. What, what, is it, what does it mean to be a witness in Jerusalem? What is our Jerusalem? So let me pray for us, and then we'll get into that, uh, the text today. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your great love. We thank you for the salvation that we have found, the forgiveness of sins that we have found through what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And Lord, it is our desire to not only express faith, but live by faith in him, God valuing the forgiveness that he has given us. We weren't worthy. We didn't deserve it. We, didn't, we definitely didn't earn it. In fact, we had something else that we had earned. But Lord, you died for us. We thank you for that. May that motivate us. May we value you enough and love you enough and hold you dearly enough and revere you enough that we would not be ashamed to speak about you to those around us. And what a blessing it is to have those kinds of, kinds of friends and opportunities and relationships and conversations. So help us, embolden us, empower us to be faithful servants of the gospel message of Christ. It's in his glorious name we pray. Amen. So I want us to talk about this the Jerusalem. And, and I, I've written down a, a, an adequate, I believe, adequate definition of what our Jerusalem is. Certainly when he calls us to go to, to, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, it does not mean we should get on an airplane and go to Jerusalem and start there, right? He was talking to the disciples in Jerusalem. He's like, here's where we are. So in one, one extent, it is geography, right? It's, hey, we're in town. This is our community. Share here. Oh, and by the way, people in the hillsides outside of us and in the surrounding, they need to know too. And then further on, keep on going and then go to the, the uttermost parts of the earth, the ends of the earth. It wasn't as big as it is today then. I mean, it, certainly the size was, but the extent of culture wasn't. But now it is. It's huge. And we have missionaries all around the world. There are missionaries in North America because people need Jesus. And you and I are missionaries. But he says for you and I to start in Jerusalem. So you and I, we're going to start in our community. We could say Mount Shasta. Maybe it's Weed or Dunsmere or McLeod. Maybe it's Wairika, Shastina. But maybe it's just, we'll say Siskiyou County, right? Let's start there. So what is the definition of our Jerusalem? And here's kind of what I... I started with. It's this. It's a place and a people familiar culturally with the happenings and the expectations of life. So you and I kind of generally know what's going on, what we should expect. In fact, if a tourist came to your door and said, I need to know about Mount Shasta, you could say, okay, let, let, me, give, let me give you some pointers. Here's where to go eat. Here's where not to eat. Here's the great coffee shops. Here's another coffee shop. 
you could, you could kind of start directing them, right? You know what's going on. Oh, by the way, on Tuesdays it's this, or on Fridays it's this, and hey, here's a newspaper, you can check out this. Um, here's, a, here's a group on a social media group. We start to know. We're familiar with what's happening. And hopefully you don't live like in a little bubble and aren't familiar with community. That, that's something we should be involved in. We, aren't, we live in the world, we're not of the world, but we still live in the world. So we need to know. So we become culturally familiar with the happenings and expectations in our community. We, we know what kind of time and season, what, what to expect, and, uh, and, and we can tell that to people. And so part of that is we have that in common. We also know the routine, right? We know the routine of what's done. Uh, you go to Reading, right? You're not going to be waiting in line around October for hours and hours at the tire shop getting studs on. It doesn't happen, Right? you're in Mount Shasta, that will. And maybe you'll set an appointment ahead of time, right? And if you're telling somebody that just moved here, you'd be like, hey, by the way, you need a set of tires. Winter, winter's coming and you need to get an appointment early to get that done. Don't wait till the last minute. That, you see what I'm saying? We know those types of things. We know the routine. We want to pass it on. By the way, when it first snows, slow down, drive slower. Maybe don't go out at all because people crash and people end up in the ditches. We know those routines. We know what happens. We know what to expect in our Jerusalem, in our, in our community. We also know the people. We know the people. Why? Because we go to the grocery store and we meet them and we talk to them. We're on first name basis with people that are our waitresses or our auto mechanics, right? The, the, the people that we work with or see in our doctor's offices. We, we know these people. And oftentimes we have their cell phone numbers as well. But that's part of our Jerusalem, right? You, you don't have that in Reading. You don't have that in another state. In fact, the further we get from here, the stranger we become to them. Because they're a little different. Now, we can certainly, we know how to dine out or call a number and get, you know, delivery. We know, we know those, that's kind of standard across the board maybe in the United States, but it changes when you go to Canada or Mexico or overseas. It'll be different. But our Jerusalem, right, is we know it's culturally what's happening. We know the expectations. We know the routine. We know the people. So the question is, and how do we witness? How do we witness here? And I'm starting here because that's where the verse starts uh, in Jerusalem. But it also, this should build. The things we learn today should also apply next week when we talk about Judea and Samaria. But we're going to start here today in Jerusalem, okay? So a witness in Jerusalem, what, number one. How do we witness in Jerusalem? We fight fear with fear. We fight fear with fear. Now, you're going to have to hang with me on this one. This is, this is interesting, right? One of the greatest hindrances to evangelism is fear. And I also believe one of the greatest hindrances to evangelism is a lack of fear fear. It's a lack of fear. We'll get back to that. Before we get there, we're in Matthew 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 here. I want us to, again, be reminded of the depth and the glory of what Christ has done. And, and as we go through this, be reminded of your own spiritual, emotional condition at one point, and, and know that people that haven't met Jesus yet are going through similar things or will experience similar things. So we can relate to them on this level. So Jesus goes up, he saw the crowds, he went up the mountainside, and after he'd sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began teaching them, saying, here's what he said, blessed or blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now let's stop there for a minute. I, I, you know that probably this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture 
talking about the progression of someone's spirit and soul towards salvation in Christ. So look at this again with me, right? First of all, it establishes who are the happy people. Happy people are people who have come to faith in Christ, and we've experienced this personally. And if you haven't experienced this personally, you probably haven't come to faith in Christ. You might be doing a routine or sitting in a pew or occupying religion, uh, checking off the boxes, but this is about deep faith. So what is this progression? Well, it starts with being poor in spirit. Knowing how desperate I am and how in need I am of forgiveness, that knowing that I'm a sinner. The Bible says that every single person has sinned and everyone's fallen short of God's glory. None of us can measure up, not even as hard as you might try. I might look better than you, you might look better than me, but at the end of the day, none of us will be able to measure up when we are compared to an almighty, holy God. What does that cause? Being poor in spirit. You're like, holy cow, I am desperate. And what does it say next? Blessed are those who mourn. When we're poor in spirit, when we're desperate, we grieve. We should grieve over the condition of our, of our hearts, the condition of our souls. We need to grieve over that. But that grieving should, should lead us somewhere. We talk about that passage we actually shared yesterday at a memorial service, right? That, that we, we groan. And, and that groaning produces a longing in us. And we shouldn't go to other things that are going to make us groan when we long. Same is true here. You might be poor in spirit. You might be mourning, like, I just, I'm desperate. But then you turn to something to fill that desperation, and it does temporarily, and it feels good for a little while, and then it fades away, and you're desperate again. Well, what's the answer? Well, you mourn, and that should, should lead you to humility. Blessed are the humble or meek. And what that means is empty. It means that I really can't find anything in this earth worthwhile that is going to fill the void and take care of me wholly, right? Fully. I can't. I won't be able to find that. So I'm, I'm empty. And, and here's what, this is the idea of repentance. This is the, 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 the I, I think the definition, a turning from yourself, an emptying of yourself, saying everything I thought was gained, everything I thought could be added to me, everything I thought I could accomplish is actually worth zero. And I'm not going to pursue it anymore. And I will become empty. And then a beautiful thing happens. As long as we're not filling it with something that shouldn't be there, when we are empty, we get hungry. What about you? It's, you know, it's 11, 20 right now. You're kind of, your stomach's starting to grumble, reminding you. Brandon's talking too long. Like, I, I get it, right? When we're empty, we should hunger. Well, what are we hungry for? Looking good around people, not being afraid anymore. What, what should we be hungry for? God. We should be hungry for God, hungry for the way he can satisfy, the way, the way that he can only satisfy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, we want to look right. We want to be uh, okay. We want to have earned something, but we can't. But Jesus earned it for you. Jesus earned it for me. He paid my price when he died on the cross. So when I come to him empty and hungry, I'm hungering for what he offers, not what I can find. I hunger, I, I hunger and thirst for his filling. His righteousness, not something I've accomplished. And when I put my faith and trust in Him, I've hungered and thirst for righteousness. The Scriptures say that I will be filled. That's what's happened as we believed the gospel. That's what happens. We, we're filled with His righteousness. We're, we're totally satisfied by God and in God and in Christ. Are you totally satisfied? Or are you still hungering and thirsting for the wrong things? Are you still trying to fill yourself with things that won't ever fill? Are you trying to, to, to put a Band-Aid on a boo-boo that's really a, a huge, huge laceration that needs some medical attention? Only He can save. 
So we're poor in spirit and we mourn and we become empty and we become hungry and he fills us. And then the rest of this passage shows the fruit of what this looks like. After we are filled, then we're merciful. Blessed are the merciful because they're going to be shown mercy and they have been shown mercy, right? Blessed are the pure in heart. There's a purity there. There's starting to be fruit. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then it goes in and says, listen, after, after a while, blessed are those who are persecuted. You're, you're going to be persecuted because of righteousness. Because you look like Jesus. See, this is kind of answering the question. Why are we afraid? Because we don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to be disliked. But he says, blessed are you, happy are you when you are persecuted because of righteousness. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. You're blessed when they insult you and they persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. You're blessed. He says you should be happy about that. And I should be happy about that. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that's how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's what they did to Jesus too. So we're in good company. But why is it worth being persecuted? Why, why can we rise above and say, don't fear? Because he's worth it. He's valuable enough. The righteousness that Christ gave to us through faith is the best thing we could ever have. And we want to be able to share that with others. So he says, don't be afraid. Don't be, be blessed. Be happy. Rejoice when they persecute you. Don't be afraid. So that's part of this fear, fight fear with fear. Don't be afraid. But here's a question. What are we afraid of? I want to kind of open it up for a minute. What, what are we afraid of? When it comes to sharing our faith with others, be honest. What are we afraid of? Being rejected. Okay, rejection. Judgment. Like what kind of judgment? Sit. Oh, they disapprove. Maybe they disapprove of the message. Okay. They'll disapprove of the message. So they disapprove of you and your choices. They hate what? Some hate Christians because they hate Christ. Someone over here? What do we fear? Virginia. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, who do you think you are? We have that, we have that fear because they can respond that way. Who are you to tell me? Being laughed at, yeah. Being mocked or laughed at, ridiculed, right? Right? What else? Why, what else are we afraid of? Yeah, we're, we're stupid. We need a crutch, right? Yeah, I, I need, can't do it on my own. Someone over here? A loss of friendship, maybe a broken relationship, right? Okay, good. Yeah, well, these are things we're afraid of, right? Is Jesus more valuable than those things? Yes, right? It, but it's believing that and really stepping into that. Here's the other thing, right? A lot of this has to do with differences, that we're in different places. But if we can come to a place that says, you know, I, I'm not really perfect. I'm, in fact, the reason Christ is so valuable to me is because I'm not perfect. And because, I, and my grandma always said this before, it's like, there's not, we're not different, I'm just forgiven. Right? That's the difference. You and I are the same, but I'm just forgiven. And, and so coming to a, a knowledge of that is what we want to help people get to. The other thing is this, when we, when we talk about relationships with people and ridicule or laughter or judgment, I think there's lots of things in our life that we don't agree about just naturally, right? I can be in a friendship. Being a friend with somebody does not mean you agree with everything. You understand that? When, when has it been that we had to have the same philosophy of life across the board to be a friend? Never, right? And if you, it was, it kind of got 
stale and you like, uh, right? But so we, we already have things we don't agree on. It's okay to have someone that doesn't agree with you. But walking into that, and, and really it's not about telling them what they're doing, how bad they are. It's about telling them what you have found through faith in Jesus Christ. And then relating that to their need as well. So, so good. There, there are fears there, but, it, but we shouldn't be afraid. But we need to go further than that. It's not just about not being afraid. Because the point was what? We fight fear with fear. What does that even mean, Brandon? Well, Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 through 13, it says this. This is what the Lord said to me with great power to keep me from going the way of his people, or of this people. He says this, do not call everything a conspiracy that these people say is a conspiracy. Let me stop there. There's a lot of ways we can go with this. What I, what I feel as we read through this right now, I think these fears are really conspiracy theories. Right? And maybe you've experienced it. I, I know I've experienced rejection. But to the extent we're talking, to the extent that we're afraid, is probably a lot of conjecture and conspiracy. Amen? Like, they're probably not going to hate us the way we envision them hating us. They're probably not going to, to stone us to death the way we envision being stoned to death downtown, right? It's not, that's not going to happen, right? And even in our friendship and relationship, as we go with grace and compassion, with our, our, our uh, voice seasoned with salt, we'll see in a few minutes, it, it's, it can still be soft and gentle and kind. Because what I don't want is for that person to think, man, like that guy said earlier, why, why did it take you so long to even share this with me? This is pretty important stuff. I and if it's important, maybe we should share and stop talking about the weather and sports, which don't always matter, right? Not always. In Mount Shasta, they do. In our Jerusalem, if weather matters. <laughs> Here he goes on. He says, don't, don't consider these conspiracies. He says, do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. Instead, in verse 13, you are to regard only, only the Lord of armies as holy. You, you see what we, he's saying, when we regard God as holy, there's a fear there. And if we're fearing people, then we're regarding them as holy. Them as th their say is what matters most. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. So we fight fear with what? Fear. <laughs> we fear God. We, we know what he has done and we know how separated we were from him and, and the judgment that has been on us and then put on Christ for us. We have a fear of God. We should be fearing the one to one day whom we're going to stand before and have to give an account. And I would hate for me and you to stand before God and he say, I put so-and-so in your life and you stood there like a deer in the headlights and had an awkward silence and you did nothing. What are we going to do? That'll be awkward, won't it, with Jesus? He's the one we have to answer to. And, and we answer to him first in faith when we come to faith in him. And then as we go through our life, we walk by faith and we, we aren't afraid of people. We fear the Lord. We regard him as holy. He gives us our marching orders. Peter talked about this too as he wrote his book to the exiles, right? To those who were living as strangers and exiles in the world. We went through a series about that last summer. It's 1 Peter 1.17. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's works, you are to conduct yourself in reverence during your time living as strangers. We conduct ourselves in reverence. We walk in faith and we walk in fear of the Lord. Not people. For you know that you were redeemed. This is why we fear. This is why we honor God. Because you were redeemed from an empty way of life that you inherited from your ancestors. The same empty way of life our friends and family have. You were redeemed. 
Not with perishable things like silver or gold. You didn't accomplish it. You didn't buy it. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. He shed his blood for us. He, he was buried and he resurrected from the dead so that you and I could have forgiveness and life. There ought to be an appropriate reverence for God through that and because of that. And it shouldn't matter what people think. It should matter what Jesus thinks. He goes on in chapter 3, uh, verses 13 to 15. Who, who then will harm you if you're devoted to what is good? Right? The idea there is, hey, if you do good, people are going to like that you're doing things that are good. But even then, if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Again, happy. Again, going back to Matthew 5. Happy are the ones who are persecuted, right? If you suffer for doing good, you're happy. You should be happy about that. Do not fear them or be intimidated, he says. Don't fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. This is scripture taken right from Isaiah. Regard Christ as holy. You, you regard only the Lord of armies as holy. And in doing that, now you're ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. You see, we will answer to the Lord of armies. We will stand before him and he will say, why didn't you speak? And are we going to say, I, I was afraid of them? You know what he's going to say? Them who? I'm the Lord of armies. You should be afraid of me. You should fear me. You should revere me. Now, there's a proper way that, that fear escalates. One fear is dread. Like, oh my goodness, because of my sin, I am dead meat. Like Isaiah before the Lord. I am toast. I, have, I deserve everything coming to me. But as we come to faith in Christ... He gives us a forgiveness. He gives us a righteousness that's not our own. And that fear now turns into a, a reverence, like, like amazing love. How can it be that you would give yourself to me? Like, that's what we're, we're talking about, a, re, a revering of, of him. And as we revere him and, and, and fear him appropriately as followers of Christ, now we just love to serve him. Now, I want to give you an evangelism tool here. here here's an, another question. For point number one, here's a question you could ask people. Okay, and, and this is just, again, a, a question to help get their spiritual temperature. And what you're trying to do is figure out, what do they believe? What do they know? And, and then when I find that answer out, how can I talk and speak to them about my experience? Here's the, here's the question. Spiritual, spiritual temperature question is this. What do you believe about God? Now, that, that's a good question for you as well and for me, right? What do I believe about God? And because my life usually shows what I believe about God. If I'm more afraid of people than God, I probably don't have the proper respect and reverence and fear of God that I should, right? What do you believe about God? But going further, once, once I have a belief and a, and a strong reverence for God, as I walk forward in relationship, feel free to ask a friend that. Hey, I've got a question for you. What do you believe about God? They'll be like, well, where does that come from? I, I'm just curious. I, I'm curious what you believe. But we never talked about that. And don't don't... Offer that question so you have room now to debate. You offer that question and you let them speak. And you listen. You listen. And you listen and you listen. You pray and you listen. And you, you try to think, man, is there a way that I could add to that or, or speak to that? Is there something I could help them understand about God that I might know because of my experience? And instead of debating with them, oh, you're wrong. You, <laughs> I can't believe you believe that. You're stupid. That's not how we share Christ. We listen and, and I've found often as people respond to that question and as they hear themselves speak out loud, they're like, uh, I don't know if I believe that. Wait a minute. Uh, let me back up here. They, they've never heard themselves say it out loud. 
right? And, and they're just kind of reeling through it themselves, maybe for the first time ever. It's kind of fun to interact with them that way. And then here's what I follow up with on all the questions I'll pose to you. Well, do you mind if I share what I, what I have learned or what I believe? It's a question. You're offering if they are willing. If they say, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready yet. Okay, that's fine. Let me know if you ever want to hear, hear what I've found out or what I believe I'd love to share with you. I, typically, people are, that have just been listened to well tend to reciprocate and say, you know what? Yeah, I, I'd love to hear. You, you listen to me, I'll listen to you. It's an opportunity to share. Okay? That's your first question. Um, the encouragement is this. In Corinthians, Paul says, therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we should try to persuade people. There's two types here of fear. One, we have a fear and reverence of God and, and who he is and what he's done for us. The other thing is this, that every single person is in the same boat. We're all sinful, we're all separated from God because of our sin, and we're all condemned to separation eternally from God because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. Uh, the only difference between you and I is I'm forgiven, right? That, that's the difference. We're all in the same boat, but I said, Lord, forgive me. I'll, I'll take your forgiveness, what you offered on the cross. There's a difference there. So one fear is I have a fear and reverence because of what he's done for me. The other fear is this, that there should be a fear of judgment, right? We, I, I don't think we should become God in our own mind saying, I, I know the outcome. I know when I stand before God, he's gonna be like, you know what? I totally understood. You didn't do anything with Jesus. Uh, you, you just, your sins, all oh, this is no big deal. Come on. That's not what's going to happen. God is just and holy and fair and altogether right. He will not let sin go unpunished. Fortunately for everyone who would believe, he punished Jesus for us. That if we would believe in him, we would have life. We can have life. And that's the message we should share with our friends and, and family and our people, right? We want to have life, and they can have life too, because we want to persuade them, right? We know and fear God. We want to persuade them. We need to grow in our fear of God and in our fear for people, not of people. We need to grow in our fear of God and, and in our fear for people, right? Not of people. We need to not fear people, but grow in our fear of God and for them. Amen? So what do we do? We, as witnesses in our Jerusalem, we fight fear with fear. Stop being afraid and speak. Just speak. Love God. Revere God. And share what is valuable to you. Ask a question. Engage in a conversation. Fight fear with fear. Number two, a witness in Jerusalem you're to be salt and light. You're to be salt and light. Look at Matthew 5 again, verses 13 through 16. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. By the way, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is when Jesus comes and pulls everyone together and says, hey, listen, you've heard it said. This is what I tell you, and, and this is what's important. I, I want you to know. And, and, and he knows these people are from Jerusalem. He, they know the routine. They know culturally what's going on. They can kind of talk on the same level. And, and he's speaking to them. He says, you're the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under feet. You're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others in your Jerusalem so they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are salt and light. And, and here's what this means for us in our Jerusalem. You and I are not to be a holy huddle that is salt and light only with each other. 
and, and we're like, we walk in the grocery store with blinders on. We, we just, we're always different. We're not engaging, we're not talking. We pick up our kids from school and we don't engage in a conversation with other moms or parents. We don't, we don't participate in the community. That is, that is hogwash. We are to be salt and light. We are to be a city on a hill. And God has all called us to be at different places and different, different uh, positions within our community. Go and love and serve there as you're serving unto the Lord and be salt and be light. If you're a teacher, do it under the glory of God. If you're a construction worker, do it under the glory of God. If you're a doctor, under the glory of God. A nurse, if you're whatever you are, if you're in school, a full-time student, whatever you are, we do it under the glory of God as salt and light in that place. It's so important for us to do that. We need Christian politicians. Amen? I get an amen to that, right? We need that. We need Christian teachers. We need Christian counselors. We need Christian uh, waitresses. We need Christian Papa Murphy's pizza artists. We need them. Salt. We need salt and light. And salt is a preservative. It preserves. We need to be able to be about speaking truth and speaking life into the world around us. That's what the heart of this is. Being salt and light is to be preserving and illuminating. Colossians, Paul says, act wisely towards outside, outsiders, making the most of the time or redeeming the time. I've mentioned this a couple weeks ago. It's like a, a, a swap meet. When you see a really good deal, redeem it. Buy it. Get it right now. You see it, you take advantage of it. That's, that's what he's saying here about relationships with people. Make the most of the time. You see that open door, you take it. Be salt, be light. Turn that light on. Let your speech, it said, always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Hey, Johnny, how, how was your week? Oh, it's good. Yeah, how was yours? It was good. Nice sunny day today. There's no salt in that. That's fluff. Just sugar. Salt. It was good. It was challenging. But you know what? God has been good. I, I had this happen, and I prayed, and this is, this is God's been amazing. Share your testimony. They asked you to. How was your week? They, they asked you to share your testimony. And you're afraid. No, they don't want to hear that. No, they asked. Be okay sharing it. And, and, and light is, is sin illuminating, right? It, it shines in the darkness saying, this, this is not the way. And we don't have to be like, well, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to speak up. I'm just going to live my life. No, we live and we stand and we take a stand and we live and walk by faith and let our light so shine before men and women and kids that, that they would see our good deeds and praise our Father who is in heaven. It's sin illuminating. It's life-giving speech. It shows the glory of God, the goodness of God. Paul writes in Philippians 2 it, that it's, it's God working in us, both to will and, and work according to his good purpose. And he says, do everything without grumbling and arguing, right? Set an example, so that you might be blameless and pure children of God. Do people that you work with know that you're a child of God who are faultless in it because of Christ, not because of us, in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom, the generation, the people, our Jerusalem, among whom we will shine like stars in the world. As we respond in obedience and faithfulness to God, that's what that would look like in the world. And how do we do that? We do it by holding firm to the word of life. Listen, for you and I to, to step in faith in conversation and be salt and light, we have to be holding firm to the word of life. It's about knowing the one that gave himself, the one that illuminated sin in our heart, and the one who offers life through faith in him. It's holding on to him. John tells us the word of life, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen, uh, we've all received grace upon grace from his fullness. This is talking about Jesus. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side, has revealed him. So God in the flesh. Who is the word of life? He's God in the flesh. We embrace God in the flesh. That's who we believe he is. That's who Jesus, he's not just a spiritual guru. We have enough guru stuff in our community, right? We know our Jerusalem. We need Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh. We hold on to him and shine like stars in the world. Salt and light will reveal Christ. And salt and light should permeate every facet of our community. Be a part of the city in which you live. Love and serve. I, I, I threaten it like once a week with my staff. I'm working myself out of a job. I'm working. My, I'm a, I, honestly, I'm like, I want to be part-time pastor. Not that I don't want to preach as much or teach and be with you and counsel, but I do all, of, I, I spend most of my time with Christians. I want to be in the world and be a light and salt to people who need that. I want to, I want to be, I want a job where people are cussing around me and telling bad jokes because I want to, I want to have that opportunity to share Salt and light to Jesus Christ, right? One day, we'll see. Here's a spiritual question, spiritual temperature question regarding salt and light and, and holding on to the word of life. If, if you were to ask another question of somebody, just here it is, ready? To you, who is Jesus? To you, who is Jesus? I did not say, hey, who's Jesus? I said, to you. I want your opinion. So I'm asking my friend, I want to know what they think, what they feel. I'm not going to debate them. I want to just listen, see what picture of Jesus they have. But it's also a question for you and I. To you, who is Jesus? Is he the word of life? Is he God made flesh? Is he the one that's our everything? And by holding on to him, we can be salt and light in the world? Yeah, I hope so. To you, who is Jesus? It's a great spiritual question. Spiritual temperature. So you, and they might, who knows what they'll say? Oh, yeah, he's a good teacher, I think. He or he never existed. He was made up fairy tales. I mean, there's all kinds of things they might say, right? But get them talking about Jesus. And then see if they want to hear about Jesus. Hey, do you mind if I, uh, you mind if I share what the Bible says about Jesus or what Jesus says about him? You might need to know some of that stuff, right? And we have some tools for that as well. We have, I have a one sheet that, about things Jesus said about himself. Come straight from Scripture. Anyway, that's another thing. Number three, last one. Witnessing in Jerusalem, right? So we, we, started, we started out this whole thing, make sure I know what it is, uh, by we fight fear with fear, right? R proper reverence for God. Uh, then we went to uh, be salt and light, holding on to the word of life. And finally this, uh, as witnesses in Jerusalem, we should challenge works righteousness. We must challenge works righteousness. Matthew chapter 5, let's go back there. Verses 17 through 22. Jesus says, listen, don't think that I came to abolish the law and prophets. Now, I'm going to stop there for a minute. I, it, it's interesting, we all set up our own standards and our routine and what's kind of accepted and what's not accepted, and we kind of go with that flow in our Jerusalem, right? And what's accepted here may not be accepted back in the Deep South, right? What, we, we understand culture is different. But our own, every culture, every community kind of sets up their own routine and regulations, and they regulate themselves on that and hold each other to that. And, and so Jesus says, don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. He's like, I don't want to mess with what you're, you're thinking is right or wrong. But he went on, and, and this is actually talking about in Jerusalem. They knew the prophets. They knew the law. They knew what the Old Testament said. So I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. That's Jesus, God in the flesh, saying, I'm going to fulfill it. You can't. It says, truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, 
Not the smallest letter or the stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. He's like, the law is important. Therefore, whoever breaks the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Understand this. Like the, he's saying, whoever breaks this, the, the law is fully important. Whoever breaks it's in big trouble. What is the reality? Every single one of us is going to break it. None of us can fully, uh, fully follow it. Whoever does, does uh, these things and teaches the commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I tell you, unless your righteousness, so the idea of, of changing uh, or challenging works righteousness, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, the scribes and Pharisees had a self-righteousness. And here's what he was saying. On the outside, they all looked well put together. They, they thought they're, they're going through their routine. They're going through the motions. They, they were the ones to be emulated. They were the ones to be, uh, be like, although a lot of people knew better, but they, they thought they were still on this pedestal, so they should follow them. Jesus says, you've got to be better than them, and you all think they're the best. You have to be, how, do we, how do we do that? How do we accomplish being better than them? It says, unless your righteousness surpasses them, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. What did Jesus just, just do? He said, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a rule. There's a law there. And you're trying as hard as you can to make sure you cross every T and dot every I. And you know, you might look good on the outside, but it's not a matter of the outside. It's a matter of what? The inside. He says, don't murder. If you've hated your brother or sister, you have already murdered them in your heart. He's saying you can't keep the rules perfectly. So when you and I start to challenge works righteousness in our conversations with people, we have to help them understand that a murderer is the same as me being angry at someone. And we can talk about that. And Because a lot of people think, well, I'm not, I'm not that bad. I've never murdered anybody. I've never committed adultery. Well, what did Jesus say about that? You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who what? Looks lustfully after a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What he's saying is the heart is what is on trial here. Not your perfection, not your, your, your plan to check off all the boxes. You can't do it. You being okay and acceptable to culture or okay and acceptable in society does not make you okay and acceptable in your heart before God. Jesus does. See, Jesus came to fulfill the law that we could not fulfill on our own. You've heard it said, he says in verse 43 of chapter 5, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you might be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on, on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. And he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. They love people that are lo lovable to them. Like, oh, they're loving. I'm going to love you back. If you greet only your brothers and sisters, uh, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So that, that's huge on this. If, if our heart is on trial and the litmus test is we have to be perfect, then we what? We all have failed the test. So when you and I are in our Jerusalem and having conversations about what oh, people look like they're squared away, oh, they're probably okay, they get it. They, no, 
this is what needs to be on trial. We need to have conversations about their heart and about what a lawbreaker really is, not just a murderer, but someone who's hated, what an adulterer really is, someone that's lusted, right? That, that's what is on trial, is the heart. This is not a scales of justice type thing. People all around us, people want to say, I've done way more good, I'm a good person, I've done way more good than bad, certainly God will accept me. That's what people think. You know what you do? When you bring that scale to God, you're like, hey God, look, look at all the good I have, and, and, and yeah, it's way more than bad. Look at the good. You know what God says? You're still bad. The bad didn't go away, you just put more stuff in the other one, right? We have to be perfect. That's, that's the requirement, to be perfect. And if we can help our friends and family come to the same knowledge that we came to and became poor in spirit because of it, and we mourned because of it, that we are not perfect, and that we can't ever measure up or live up to the standard that God has given us, the only one that can is Jesus, then we can humble ourselves and we, and, and we can help our friends and family humble themselves before God. Stop, help them stop trying to earn it. Help them stop trying to work it out on their own. It's so important. And, and part of that is just sharing the testimony that we have. You might have a bad week one week and you're like, man, I, I really screwed up. And someone, so he asks, oh, hey, how was your week this week? He wants to, what, he's asking, she's asking your testimony. They want to know, what do you say? You know what, I really struggled this week. I did some things this week that I, I haven't done in a long time and I, I shouldn't have done that. But you know what, I, I know, I know I have forgiveness in Christ and, and that he loves and, I, and my desire is to please him. So I, I have gone to him and sought that out. People don't talk like that. Your friends are going to be like, whoa, what? And you can tell them, I, I, it, I know I can't be perfect, but I want, I want my heart and my affections of my heart to grow and increase towards Jesus because of what he accomplished for me. It, well, what was that? Here's the gospel. You're just sharing the gospel, the heart behind it. We don't share it in judgment saying, I've got to also have all the answers. I've got to know everything, everything uh, fully. You know it. If you've come to faith in Christ, you know it. And we share that. We challenge works righteousness all around us. Uh, here's the question, spiritual temperature question. Last one. What do you believe about the afterlife? Or, or what do you believe about heaven and hell? Again, an opinion question. I'm asking for someone's opinion. And, and what they tell me about that is going to tell me a lot about what they think and what they believe it takes to get there. Right? A lot of people say, oh, I don't, I don't believe in a hell I think that, you know, good people just go to heaven. Okay, well, what about bad people? You've kind of started to, like, you can, you can ask questions like that, right? But again, they're speaking out loud, and they're kind of reasoning, maybe for the first time ever. And, and they might just stop in the middle of it because they, they're confused. Like, what do you believe? Or you can share. Hey, do you mind if I tell you what the Bible says about that? Or what I've come to find out and learn, right? That's a way to do that. So, so we, we want to be able to have those conversations with people. We want to start that in our Jerusalem. And, and starting in our Jerusalem, we, we conquer fear with fear. We got to have fear and reverence for God and what He has accomplished for us, and we got to be afraid for our friends and family, not of them, but be afraid for them. We got to be salt and light wherever we go, right? Be a, be a preservative and be an illumination and wherever you work. Where it's not just when you're in a small group at a church or in your, you're in church or at a fellowship; it's everywhere. It, it, they shared it earlier. The Great Commission: Go and make disciples. That word "go" is as you go, not when you sign up for a mission trip. It's as you go, as you and I walk out of this building and. Walk into the community. We are salt and light wherever we go. And then we can challenge works righteousness. We can say, you know, it's not about being perfect. It's not about keeping all the cultural rules or expectations. In fact, none of us can do that perfectly. It's about our heart that's on trial. 
And we, we need to surrender our heart to Jesus and, and tell people how you've surrendered your heart to Jesus. I hope you have and hope you can. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for the love that you've given us through Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can be made right with you, even though we are so not right. We can be made right with you through faith in Christ. God, we ask that you would help us to trust you day by day, to help, to, to help us grow in a reverence and a fear of you, and not a fear of people, but a fear of you and a fear for people. That there are people out there, like, like we were, who are going to die in their sins and be separated from you. And God, uh, the solution is Jesus. Help us to be salt and light wherever we go shining like stars in the world, Lord, shining your glory, shining your forgiveness, that they might come to know you in, in faith. God, help us challenge, challenge the, the status quo, challenge legalism, challenge uh, just religious institutions. Help us challenge any notion of, of earning it by our own works, in our own life and in the lives of our friends and family, having conversations that lead us to being poor in spirit, to mourning, to being empty before God and, and hungry for Him and being filled by Him and satisfied by Him. We thank You and we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen.